Anthropological Airwaves is the official podcast of the journal American Anthropologist, whose main offices are located on the traditional and ancestral territories of the Nacochang, Anacostia, and Piscataway peoples. The Anacostia and Potomac Rivers have long been places of trade and gathering for indigenous peoples, and Washington, D.C. is now home to diverse indigenous peoples from across Turtle Island. American Anthropologist has published material throughout its history that has taken knowledge from indigenous peoples for a scholarly audience and has not required its authors or editors to be good relations to indigenous peoples and communities. Acknowledging territory is only one step in repairing these relationships. The editorial collective of the journal is committed to deep listening and engagement with indigenous scholars, peoples, and communities to explore ways to be a better relation. Today's recording is the third of a three-part episode that was produced on the traditional territories of indigenous peoples across Turtle Island. This piece of the series was recorded, edited, and produced on the occupied ancestral lands of the Narragansett in what is now called Providence, Rhode Island. As its original inhabitants, the Narragansett people have stewarded this land since time immemorial and continue to do so today. Parts of this episode, including this recording, were produced from the traditional territories of the Catawba, Waxaw, Chera, and Sugary peoples. While many descendants of the Chera, Waxaw, and Sugary communities eventually joined the Catawba peoples, the Catawba Nation continues to thrive in what is now called Rock Hill, South Carolina. joining us for another episode of Anthropological Airwaves, the official podcast of the journal American Anthropologist. This is Season 4, Episode 1, Part 3. My name is Anar Parikh. I'm a PhD candidate in anthropology at Brown University. Some of you may already recognize me and my voice, but in case we haven't had the chance to be acquainted yet, I'm the associate editor of the podcast at American Anthropologist and the executive producer of this show. I use she, her pronouns. Today on Anthropological Airwaves, we're bringing you the final installment of I'm Indigenous, Not Mestizo, The Art and Activism of Rapper Jaguar Ariola, a three-part series produced by Adelaida Tamayo and Benjamin Salinas, PhD students in the Department of Anthropology at Brown University, originally submitted as a collaborative multimodal final project for a graduate seminar on violence, governance, and transnationalism, we're bringing you their work in podcast form with some minor modifications. In part one, they prepared for their interview with Jaguar, an indigenous Chicano musician based in Los Angeles, California. Part two features the interview with Jaguar. And in part three, the debrief, Adelaida and Ben reflect on the conversation and on the project as a whole. If you're just tuning in now, I'll briefly explain how this series works before passing the mic onto Adelaida and Ben. Parts one and two, which dropped earlier this week, are available for listening. Today's episode is part three, and the final installment in this series. If you've been listening to each segment of this as it airs, I hope you've enjoyed following Adelaida and Ben through the process of creating this project. If you're tuning in from the future, feel free to listen to episodes in order, or hop around based on what suits your listening interests.
I guess I'll start with the first thing that's on my mind, which is I really appreciated his, like, it's something that you don't get a lot in, like, social media discourse on activism, which is also, like, this, yeah, like, we're fighting, but also, like, we take breaks, and we're, like, we're chilling, and yeah. we, like, we make yeah. time for ourselves, and, like, yeah. for caring for ourselves, and, like, we, yeah. yeah, I thought that was a really, like, a really kind of nice part that he was talking about, that, like, because I, just when you, when it's only, when you only see, like, the posts yeah. on Instagram or on social media, it's just, yeah. like, it makes you feel like you have to be doing this kind of fighting all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, it's all or nothing. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, yeah, no, it's so weird how, especially with COVID, so much of our encounters with other movements have been through social media. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like such, it's just a glimpse, right? And yeah. it's just a, like one idea. And often it's performative, which like has its own kinds of issues. But um, there's something about like this feeling of inspiration I have right now just from having an in-depth conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the gift of anthropology, right? Like yeah. that is actually like, we, we love to like, hate on our discipline but actually yeah. <laughs> like there's something cool about that in-depth conversation yeah. right um and it was really interesting i thought the way he answered the what can we do question mm-hmm. um i when i when i think we when we were writing that question about what can academia do we mm-hmm. were thinking kind of theoretically yeah. i think like, what is the role of academia in this struggle? Mm-hmm. And I think that we were thinking theoretically, like, mm-hmm. we need different discourse about activism or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, and his answer was so concrete. He was mm-hmm. like, redistribute the wealth, donate to organizations, start a club at your university. It was all actionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just, it sounds so obvious, but... I think we forget about the simple stuff, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Especially, like, you know, a big part of this project was, like, kind of reformulating what kinds of knowledge we are able to present, yeah. which is, like, that's, again, that's how I was thinking about it. It's like, okay, like, how can we, like, re, like reconsider what it means to be knowledgeable and, like, all these yeah. things, which is, like, obviously something he's concerned with, but, yeah, like, that whole, like, yeah, just, like, use the space and the resources you are you are given to just, you know, move them around, like, move them to other people. Yeah, that, yeah. I agree, that was, yeah. that was, that was, like, striking. Yeah, because it's, and on the one hand, it's so obvious, mm-hmm. and, the, and on the other hand, I feel like it's in the fringes of the academy, and maybe it makes sense because it is a little bit radical, but mm-hmm. redistributing the wealth is not something that's, like, necessary to be an anthropologist right Mm -hmm. it's something that occasionally people decide to sort of kind of do right like yeah yeah um yeah yeah and one thing i've been thinking about also is like the awkwardness of giving money away i think Mm -hmm. it's something it's i think this is more of just a personal battle something i have to just get over Mm -hmm. um but it is something to consider in terms of anthropology methods, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe it's something that needs to be kind of like standardized more or like yeah. discussed more in a methods class, right? Because I mean, I don't know if that would be better or worse to institutionalize it, but like mm-hmm. I feel like giving money away tends to be kind of a rogue decision. Yeah. And we don't always know exactly how to do it. You know, mm-hmm. like even now we when we decided like we were like, yeah, we for sure should pay him but then I was like wait how much I don't even know should we ask him first yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 so yeah no yeah. it's interesting I think it's a very like 
United Statesian thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, this is like, this is a very small part of it, but like the idea of, you know, like handouts, the government handouts to whatever, like that discourse has been like yeah. so, like, so, so yeah, especially, yeah. especially in the past like five years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I wonder to what degree, like, I personally have like in kind of like, even though I'm like, completely disagree like in yeah. my head I'm gonna disagree with that how much I've like interpreted some level of like okay maybe I shouldn't just give other people stuff because because also I don't want to like patronize people right I don't that's I, my big thing I don't yeah. want to be like oh you can't do yeah. anything yeah. um but then at the same time like you know here yeah. I am just like making money off of just yeah. writing books <laughs> yeah and then you know it also goes both ways I mean on the other hand I don't think we need it doesn't have to you know, just how he said, like, self-care is important, too, you know, like, mm-hmm. taking a break, like, taking care of yourself is important, too, you know? I think there yeah. is also a balance to be had, like, which is part of what he was saying. Yeah, I was gonna say, that reminds me of what he was talking about, like, when he was like, yeah, you know, when I go to the club, I'm not gonna be, like, listening to something with a revolutionary yeah. potential, yeah. Right? I'm just, like, I'm listening for a vibe, like yeah. he said, and I was like, yeah, yeah that's, like, and that's, like, kind of analogous, right? Yeah. Like, not every little action needs to be, like filled to the brim with revolutionary yeah. <laughs> like revolutionary yeah. action right yeah. and I think there's also something important about like relatively happy and healthy and like fulfilled people doing work yeah. like that that's gonna be more effective than yeah. like people who are just trying to like yeah. force the fight every day totally like a lifetime of fulfilled work mm-hmm. is better than like one week of a me of like hard 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 work and then a lifetime of burnout you know like or even like four years of hard work and then a lifetime of burnout you know Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. totally yeah um another thing that stood out to me was the really intentional choices of language that he had Mm -hmm. um and it was inspiring to me in terms of how i might want to think about my language more in class settings and just in general mm-hmm. um because i think there's a lot to be said for just walking the walk silently you know like mm-hmm. like humble you know he was really humble about his like magnificent political ideas you know yeah yeah like he it wasn't really much preaching but it was small moments where he you know he he used the term turtle island you know mm-hmm. he yeah, yeah. um uses the word my relatives you know it's like my yeah, that's houseless true. That's relatives a lot. yeah 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 houseless instead of homeless Avya Yala, that was the other one yeah. i was thinking of and like it's interesting how he like kind like like the so-called america right that, that, yeah. that, like, that was the one he like explained yeah. the most right but it wasn't even like you're right i i hadn't thought about this but it, it wasn't like preachy it was like him like these are my choices these are my language choices let me tell you why i'm making them and maybe you'll like be inspired by them or something and i feel like that like that kind of way of telling you a story is also very inspiring yeah yeah and it i mean it's it's a niche world but it made me think like that's a really good approach to sharing ideas in class you know Mm -hmm. like i think sometimes yeah, sometimes we end up getting combative. Not that anyone actually gets really combative, but like sometimes yeah. you get really frustrated when you disagree with someone and you're yeah. like, well, like you're just not thinking about this, but like there's something to be said about just like being clear with your own ideas and mm-hmm. just holding them dear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And pridefully. Yeah. 
yeah that was a cool interview and it just like i said during the interview it totally um justified everything i've ever <laughs> written about mixed methods mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. like this was like reading 10 amazing papers yeah plus a good vibe you know yeah <laughs> like, yeah that whole like yeah. i love that he said like you know I, I can't put it on paper and put it into theory mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. i don't need to right and then he talked about neo-rome mm-hmm. and now i was like whoa that's so mm-hmm. cool and i could totally see that being like an academic paper right, right. like like yeah. America is near Rome, right? Blah, yeah. blah, blah, you yeah. know, in the 60, you know, like some fancy academic title, yeah. right? But, like, he does yeah. the same, like, theoretical and, like, historical labor yeah. in, like, you know, like, half the amount of, like, yeah. not nearly the amount of time and, like, yeah. in, a, in an engaged and dia- dialogue way. And we captured that yeah. experience of, like, him coming to that, him yeah. coming to the realization that he wants to tell us that and then us, like, reacting to it, I feel like. Yeah. Which yeah. is something that you can't get, and it's like just, you know. Yeah. Now we're gonna write a story about how yeah. he we did an interview. Yeah, and that instant dialogue, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, something cool about that interview. Um, cool. With these dialogues and the interview done, we went to work editing the video and this podcast. Afterwards, we decided to include a final debrief about the editing decisions we made, along with some final thoughts on the project. So we're almost done with this project, and. Um, you know, we, we've just finished the editing, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the choices you made while editing the, the video. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, I think it was interesting that while I was editing the video, because Jaguar would take our questions and just run with them and talk for so long with each question, um, I ended up mostly cutting out um pieces of his dialogue that didn't quite feel relevant that was a surprise to me i thought i would be cutting out us talking but it i ended up cutting out his talking more so um i also ended up cutting out kind of our logistical discussions and false starts any other kind of awkward moments um what about you what were you cutting out and cutting in yeah so one thing I didn't really expect was that I was going to have so many, you know, insecurities or questions about the my own mm-hmm. voice and my own thoughts when I was recording. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were just having conversations and dialogue. These weren't planned conversations mm-hmm. um, with a pre-scripted narrative. Um, so all, all of my thoughts were just kind of coming as we mm-hmm. as I was talking. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is important to capture, right? That it's it's part of how anthropology works in fact it's how our projects work mm-hmm. we're just in constantly in dialogue with our yeah. interlocutors and with yeah. other scholars and then we finally get to put it into writing and yeah. cut up all of the awkwardness yeah but when we were assembling when i was assembling the podcast from all of our kind of all of our recordings yeah that wasn't really an option like there yeah. were a few times where we went back and like record re-recorded something or added a voiceover to to try to mm-hmm. get a transition mm-hmm. but a lot of it was just trying to find ways to to make our somewhat disjointed thoughts into a coherent narrative. Yeah, totally. And I think that brings me to kind of another element of the video making process that I've been thinking about is how, I mean, like, in an ideal world, I would have loved to fill the video 
with a bunch of fun elements, with a bunch of other music videos, with a bunch like even graphics. I could have done animation. Like I had all these ideas, but the reality of the video making process is just it took me so long to edit mm-hmm. um, that I just you know like I we ended up doing a very simple edit with just a few moments where I put in some music, put in some music videos, or just images that he uses in his work. Um, but it's it was really interesting and kind of exciting to see how different images can play along with the words. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. That was exciting. Definitely something I would want to do more of in the future, but also kind of a learning experience for me um, that first off, editing is hard and it takes a while, but also like there is, you know, there's a specific skill set that we're working on. Um, And editing is a skill set, just like writing is a skill set that we have to work on. Yeah, absolutely. I felt the same way about the podcast. Just I I went and watched a few videos after I started editing about how to how to make a podcast and they told us to record on certain types of microphones and in certain types of environments and these were just not things we even yeah. took into account when yeah. we started making the project and yeah. so we had to kind of had to yeah. calibrate and figure it out as we were going along um yeah. which was exciting and interesting yeah. and like a, a good learning process yeah. but it definitely it definitely showed me that there's it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. It's, totally. not, as, it's not as simple and yeah. it's cut forward as yeah. I thought it was going to be. Yeah, but I feel like it was an awesome learning experience. And it was just, at the end of the day, I mean, it was it was really cool to get such good practice editing and kind of practice doing an ethnography um, with a real interview. You know, I think mm-hmm. there was something really cool about having a real interview with this dope activist who's um, so excited and passionate about his work that made us be able to really commit to making a good edit and really commit to trying to get our skill sets to the level even if this is just like a first attempt at visual anthropology it's it's a cool way to figure out exactly what we need to learn and what the next steps are to become kind of fully formed multimodal anthropologists right yeah absolutely i totally agree and for me this just kind of like confirmed that this is the direction you want to go i I just think it's so exciting that we like, like you said, he's such an energetic and like his person and his his activist spirit is just like contagious. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just love that we were able to like capture that and not have to transform it into a text or into yeah. some kind of written work where his face, his facial expressions, his intonation, um, all of that gets lost in the text. So yeah, no, this was a really exciting project. Thank you for doing it with me. Yeah, thank you, Ben. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Anthropological Airwaves. We'll be back in your ears next month with more great anthro audio. This episode was edited and produced by Adelaida Tamayo and Benjamin Salinas. Anar Parikh is the executive producer of Anthropological Airwaves and the associate editor of the podcast at American Anthropologist. This episode features music by Benjamin Salinas. The intro and outro music you hear is titled Waiting by Croander. As always, a closed-caption version of this and every episode of Anthropological Airwaves is available on our YouTube channel and a full transcription on the episode page on the American Anthropologist website. Links to both are included in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to subscribe to Anthropological Airwaves wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And don't forget to rate and review us while you're there. A five-star review in particular will help other listeners find the show. We would also love to hear from you in general. If you have feedback, recommendations, or thoughts on recent episodes, send an email to amanthpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on our Facebook page or on Twitter with the handle at anthroairwaves. Find links to all of our contact information in the show notes or on the Anthropological Airwaves section of the American Anthropologist website. See you later.